0: to a special episode of call time uh i mentioned that over the um the interweb or rather or not the interweb but our social media channels that i have a special guest this week i was trying to make it in time because of i was gonna have the previous episode as the last episode of the year but i feel like this is actually more of the episode i could end with and then i'd probably be able to take a month off rest relax during the holiday season so- Joining me today is Jackie uh, Ray Jones, or is it Jackie Jones? Jackie
1: Naaman Jones.
0: Jackie Neiman Jones, who played Debbie in *Mano's Hands of Fate*. So, if you actually know the movie mostly by uh, interpretation, or if you are a big man, uh, mystery Science* C. A. Three Thousand fan, you probably know it by heart uh, and how how you know that sort of thing came about. But yeah, Jackie, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. Uh,
0: thank you. I always ask about how my guests are doing right before I get into the the notion of the podcast thing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so tell me about, uh, were you, like, did you grow up in a big performing arts family with actors, actresses, or was it just, uh, just something that just happened to have, like, a... Uh, like it just happened to just roll off that one day, oh yeah, by the way, we're gonna be filming a movie one day or filming something one day or acting or something, I should say.
1: Well, my dad, um, at the time, he was a uh, director of the South El Paso Boys Club as his day job, but he was really into theater and, and we had a very strong theater in El Paso, Texas. And so my dad, was in a lot of plays there at the festival theater. And he usually played the lead role. And in this case, he, they were doing the play Henry IV. And my dad was playing the lead role of Henry IV. And Hal Warren, who wrote, directed, and played the father, Mike, in Mono Hans The Fate, was in the play. And uh, So Hal Hal Warren, and so he looked around the play and he looked at all the the people involved, people he'd worked with before, you know, it was a tight knit group that worked together in different projects. And uh, Hal looked around and he saw pretty much everything he needed for a recent script that he had written. Mm -hmm. And uh, So Hal raised some money well, first he asked these guys if they would be interested in filming a movie. and then he raised some money. and um, like two months later, they were shooting it. Oh wow. Uh,
0: when like did you understand what was going on? It's like, oh, we're making a movie now or or like, I imagine like as a kid actor, you probably you like you had to some state the notion of, yeah, we're making a movie but like did you know like the like the, the production stuff that was going around where I was like okay this is the director make, setting up the scene you know here's he's doing the shots you know uh, here's you know us like getting ready for our scene you know like from a sensation from that point like how yeah how did you know it was like oh we're at, we're actually making a movie here and rather than something like Yeah, especially as a kid actor or as a, I should say, as a kid on the movie, I should say.
1: Well, my dad was in the theater, as I said, so I was accustomed to being around creative people and I really enjoyed everything he did. He was also an artist uh, and worked in many different mediums. So, you know, I was I was accustomed to being in a very unique family. I mean, yeah. we lived in El Paso, Texas and this is the 60s. We were three miles from the Mexican border and the Rio Grande River. And um, we were the only non-Hispanic family pretty much in my neighborhood or my school. So it was, we were, we were different. <laughs> no, I was the kid that um, the only reason kids friended me was so they could get inside my house to see all the strange things that we had. So, um, but I knew nothing about filmmaking. None of us did. Again, it's the '60s, and it's yeah. El Paso, Texas. Hal Warren's dream was to make a film. And to um, to highlight the beauty of the Southwest and and how welcoming the community was, so he was hoping to bring the film industry to the Southwest to El Paso. Hmm. So so when they cat when he cast Monos, like it was very low budget. Oh yeah. And. Uh, they, he had it pretty much, well, he had all the male characters he wanted. And then he went to the local modeling school and that's where he got all the women, the wives and the women who played my mother. And they still needed a kid. And my dad just happened to have one. Uh, and so he asked me one day if I wanted to be in a movie that he was doing. And I had no idea what that meant and I was a shy kid, and I said, I don't know, and he said, well, that's okay, honey, you don't have to, we can just find another little girl, and and that was it. I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> other kid's going to be hanging out with my dad, you know, so that's really how we, how I got in it. Hal took advantage of what was available. I mean, our car was in it. Yeah. My mother My mother made the costumes. My dad did all the props. Um, Our dog was in it. The Doberman was our family pet. Uh, My great-grandmother's quilts on the bed. You know, I mean, just, to me, it was, rather than being a film, it was just more like um, a friends and family adventure.
0: Yeah, like a community, I wouldn't say a community project, but it had like a, a lot of love from the community and you have a lot of people, who. Do, it's like the same thing where it's like uh, film projects, especially that I've done in the past, uh, especially if I know the people who are working behind the scenes, i.e. the actors, actresses, all that stuff, you know. Sometimes like a great, uh, a great thing about that was a few years ago, I was filming a project for my class. And one of the things was, uh, one of the characters had to wear a uh, t-shirt and it was a t-shirt that I made as best as I could. And my actress, she came up said, you know, I could probably make something more about this. Could I just give a a quick once over? And of course, you know, she get you know, she gets the t-shirt, looks at it, you know, and then starts getting a scissors, starts cutting it up a little bit, makes it making her her own design and whatnot. So yeah, I imagine like when you're doing a, a small independent project, and or a small independent film, you know, small independent film, uh, or even a small independent theater project, people who you know, especially if it's like behind the scenes or some of the actors, they all chip in rather than rather than just being like, okay, I'm just going to think about my lines and think about all that stuff it's like no 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 no. we gotta deal with the 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 stages like we gotta deal with uh we gotta deal like okay uh we gotta move this desk over here because it you know like it's it's in a good position but uh it's not necessarily getting good lighting so can we move this desk over here and then okay by this time it's like oh yeah but but yeah I, i imagine like doing that for uh the the production went off like what uh Two weeks or was it like three? Yeah.
1: weeks? no, two weeks. About oops, sorry, about oh. eight days, nights and weekends, because oh, everybody wow. else, you know, everybody had day jobs. Yeah,
0: so I imagine for like two weeks, like everybody chipping in to make sure like everything else was like not only uh, looking around right the film it was like you, you're also making a film, so it's like uh, the film like like buying the film especially in the 60s i imagine that being like a lot of money so it's like uh or you know so and you don't want to burn burn daylight and you know not only that burn film too Whereas it's just like you just having like okay we don't want everything to uh mess up everything it's like nowadays it's like we film you know nowadays it's filmed visually, and you know it can take as many takes as you want so forth and so on so i imagine it's like yeah, I imagine with a uh, a small, minute uh, time window of like legitimately two weeks, and especially with everyone else having like, you know, day jobs and stuff like that too. I imagine it's like, and filming at night too, is like, that is even more of a hassle because I <laughs> I filming at night, it's like, it's either, and I imagine also filming in the desert, it's probably even more colder at night, whereas it's like, or depending on where it is. Um.
1: Yeah. No, I was in the middle of summer. It's hot in South oh. Texas. Uh but um yeah, I mean the big problem with filming at night, besides lighting, of course, is um where the moths, and that's one of the jokes with Mystery Science Theaters. You can see the moths flying around. There's nothing you could do about it.
0: Yeah. Uh but yeah, uh, speaking of Mystery Science Theater uh I, I remember reading probably on either maybe Wikipedia or something like that, how the film like went unnoticed for a while or just went unnoticed because I'm not sure how like as an independent film, especially in the 60s, it would be like, oh, it was made, it was released and then, it got played in the film circus or something like that and then no
1: it didn't it um it showed at the premiere November 15th 1966 and it was and none of us had any idea how bad it was no you know it happened so quickly it was filmed in uh like June and it was released in the theater in November you know, that's a quick turnaround for any film. Yeah. And in this case, it was shot silent because of the camera they were using that could only shoot 32 seconds. Oh, wow. And then you had it was a wind up camera, like the one, uh, Filmo 70 that they used in the Vietnam War. Like, wow. Uh, so the voices also had to be dubbed. So, you know, it was, uh, it was quite interesting. Yeah. So, so it showed in the theater uh, for the premiere and it was so bad and the audience was actually riffing it back then. And uh, when it was over, everybody just wanted to forget about it. The theater was going to run it for two weeks But uh, it was just so bad they didn't show it again after that first night. And then it basically disappeared. It just disappeared. It didn't have a copyright on it, it just kind of went out. And uh, it became, I learned later that it showed at various drive in theaters, you know, around mostly uh, West Texas. Uh, you know, it'd be one of those movies at the drive-in theater. It's the third movie on horror night, and you play it to get people to go home, you know. and um, But I looked for it once I became a teenager and I got older. I I searched for it. We didn't have a copy. I never saw it again after that night. And then 27 years later, my dad calls me on the phone in 1993 and says, you'll never believe what I just saw on television. So that's how we found out that it was back in the world. And strangely, it became pretty much an instant hit.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I imagine like doing a film and then suddenly people like, eh, we don't want to have this film like released, like widely released because because of, you know, pacing or people not liking it, that sort of thing. And then suddenly, years later, it pops up on a, uh, a show that not only uh, showcases like quote-unquote bad movies, but also like rips on them, but also shows like, oh yeah, you know, the filmmakers were having fun with, you know, what have you, with all that stuff. Uh, were you aware of Mystery Science Theater 3000 around the time, or were you just like, kind of surprised that, oh, there is a show that actually was uh, filming, I mean, well, filming a riff on the film, but also showing the film on a more national scale and allowing people to go, oh, there's this movie that people haven't really <laughs> found yet. And suddenly there's like a lot more people wanting to watch this movie now.
1: I I had heard of Mystery Science Theater, but I hadn't watched it. But my dad's the one that uh, was watching it when Monos came on and because uh, he was a fan. And so it was his weekend and he was just he lived on the Oregon coast and it was a rainy January day and he was just kind of hanging out and watching. Uh, tv and mystery science theater and uh he started dozing off he heard some familiar music opened his eyes and there he was but <laughs> on the screen you know um but i didn't really know about it until it's happened until it, it happened but since then you know i've met all the guys and uh you know, Frank and Trace are doing this show next week on Tuesday, December 14th, riffing monos, and and I get to be the special guest. And I just feel so honored to have the opportunity to meet these people and and be part of this uh, really great community of people. I mean, in high school when I was growing up, I was a big fan of Firesign Theater. And my best friend and I, um, we memorized <laughs> most of the albums, and we drove everybody crazy with the albums. and And that kind of humor is very reminds me very much of Mystery Science Theater, and the the fan base is very close knit. And supportive of each other in the same way. So this worked for me perfectly. I love mystery science theater and the fans, and uh, they're definitely my kind of people.
0: Yeah, uh, it's weird because you know, I grew up in the nin- I grew up in the nineties, and I only knew mystery science theater on um, like reruns and sci-fi and the movie that they made which was you know and then that was just it. i don't remember really much watching you know rewinds of it i just only remember watching bits and pieces and primarily the movie but when i got more into adulthood and stuff like that too especially over the past like say several years i would grown more and more uh accustomed to knowing what mystery science Theater 3000 is especially since netflix made a great rendition of The show, bringing it back to a, um, especially a more broader audience, especially with uh, the millions of subscribers that Netflix has. So having a show like that and then going, oh yeah, this is the type of show I would have been watching probably on a Friday night uh, with some, like, like like what you just said before what you thought, like on a Friday night, sitting in a chair, watching something, just laughing about what these, you know, what these talented means and writers do for essentially maybe a 90-minute movie, a two-hour movie, and somehow cutting out, you know, anything that's like in the like commercials and stuff like that to give it a airtime too, especially if uh yeah, it's like it's it's definitely one of those things. And and one of my great friends, um, he's a great mystery th- uh uh A great fan of the show too, and it's like his comfort food. It's like when something's, yeah. It's like whenever it's like really something uh is bothering him, he usually just turns to Science Studio Three Thousand, yeah, Mister Science Studio Three Thousand, and just watches a random episode because he he like he knows it by heart.
1: Yeah, I've talked to a number of people like that. I know a, a lot of people like that. That is, that's their that's their comfort place to go, and things are not right in the world and however way that's where they go to to disconnect from everything else and and to get into something that makes them happy
0: now uh manos has been uh, uh named like one of the worst movies of all time especially on like imdb and all that stuff now Over the course since it's release, there has been like worship movies that have come out on, like came out in like, you know, theaters and like in actual theaters and you know, been released on TV, stuff like that too. Especially now that people are starting to, like people have grown more accustomed to knowing what type of movie it was. Do you still think that name is should be on like the marquee, or should it be like known as like we kind of know like what type of movie we're going with here? This is not really bad. This is more along the lines of here's an hour and ten minutes of just like mindless fun.
1: Um, no, I, um, I never thought it was the worst movie. I've had people try to, you know, uh, go. There's worse movies than that. Well, of course there are. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot worse movies than that. In fact, in high school, I was an extra in a movie that's way worse than Monos. It's called The Curse of Bigfoot. I think Rift Tracks uh, did it, but I mean, I'm in like this little tiny scene, but there's so many bad movies and not just since then before then as well so but what i love about this is that um it was named that and it it one um worst movie ever made two two different years for the mst turkey day awards but people um They call it that in a very loving way you know it's uh it's um it's just so much fun i i'm honored named that and um i don't know what makes people love it so much i've watched it a bunch of times myself and but there is something about it and i think frank and i've heard people say it's like your last known photograph or it's like a train wreck. It's so bad, but you just can't look away, you know? And um, I'm just honored. I feel like um, that's the best legacy my dad could ever leave me. I have so much fun with it. And while he was still living, he lived vicariously through me as I went to events and, and, got to talk about it and to do things like write my book um i've made a film you know manos returns and i'm working on the debbie chronicles now and and i just get to work with so many talented people the other thing about manos that just fascinates me is all the projects that have been created from it that are from really talented people it's like it's inspired this stuff that uh like myself i'm a professional artist and uh i've done some amazing work i've uh i made a good living raising my children as a single mom doing uh interior specialty finishes you know plaster techniques murals and yeah so on and um, so I, I don't know I'm just I don't know what it is exactly I think it's the humor it never would have done anything if it wasn't for mystery science theater I mean I give those guys all the credit for bringing it to the world in such a way that allowed people to embrace it the way they do
0: I think it's also one of those films where if you watch it on your own, you're kind of like trying to figure out what's going on. But if you're watching with a group of friends, like IE with like a Mystery Science Theater 3000, you kind of referring it, but also understanding it a bit more. And because of the fan base, it's like I did not know that they made a like someone made a fan-made game called Toro ter- uh, ter- uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more mispronouncing the name is it toro is it to togo togo's revenge i was like i did not know yes. that. i did not and okay. and that was a game that was made from the the basis of another game so i was like yeah but and- do you
1: know there's uh two coloring books there's a comic book there's trading cards there's uh there was two comedy stage productions there's a puppet theater, Manos, the Hands of Felt, <laughs> which you can find on, um, That's on YouTube. It's really great. There's, what else? I mean, there's so many different things. It's, and then for my, oh, I wrote a book called Growing Up with Manos, the Hands yeah, of Felt, and a long title is how I was the child star of the worst movie ever made and lived to tell the story and I'm very proud to say that my book is five stars on Amazon I mean it's a really good book about a really bad film
0: now how did the book come about because it was, it was just like one day we just decided you know what our Manos has like accumulated a lot of fandom and I would love to write about not only my experience on the film, but also the experience I've come to know as an actor coming out of a, like this type of film.
1: Yeah, it came about because, because Manos disappeared for so many years and I really thought I would never see it again. And uh, growing up, uh, there were a lot of challenges um, and uh, you know, I've always adored my dad, but through different things we weren't able to see each other for many years and and uh and then monos just got bigger and bigger and and it became a way for us to reconnect and oh and, and you know 27 years it had disappeared I I held on to the memories like I really cherished the memories. I remember telling friends in school stories about this thing that I did with my dad when I was 6 years old. And I so they were in my head and then I met this woman over Facebook and I was mentioning wanting to write a story and she's does she's written books and done Uh, editing Laura Mazzucatoops and she lives in Chicago and she talked to me about it and together um, she just really got me going so I just started writing everything I could remember and then I started doing research and I found other people that had been in monos that were still living that aren't now Yeah. um, yeah some of them I reconnected with uh, Diane Marie who played my mother in Manos and she's been part of several projects I've done because of our reconnection. Um, and then my dad was still living and uh, and I just did a lot of research and I was able to to uh, fill out the stories based on finding people and and, and kind of balancing it off saying you know this is what I remember from my perspective what do you remember about this and and through that um it just came together I'm working on another book now and um that fills it out even more oh awesome uh oh and I'm actually I'm working on two books my my friends tell me oh god I consider myself disorganized but then i realize i'm just doing so many different things at the same time <laughs>
0: I, I feel you it's like I, I have a podcast but i'm also trying to write uh, screenplays i'm also trying to write actual stories well not actually right? like, i'm trying to be a novelist i'm also trying to be a screenwriter i'm also trying to be a filmmaker on top of that i have a podcast so i'm like
1: right uh, i know i know i that's me so <laughs> a documentary uh in film uh, version, and uh, god, there's just so many stories and people to talk to. Um, and then I want to write a book. I'm working on a book called For the Love of Monos," because over the years, I've heard so many stories from people about um, monos and their relationships and just you know, I mean that book could really spread out, but yeah, you know, or, or how not to introduce your first date with somebody to monos if you want to start with MST, you know. <laughs> <laughs> at
0: least wait you at least wait till you fifth or sixth date
1: for that. Right. I most people suggest not the first date. That's probably not a good idea
0: uh now in term now you mentioned fan, uh fan projects and stuff like that too uh, i kind of noticed that over the years especially with projects that are you know uh for instance the friday the 13 franchise it hasn't had a film since 2009 because of like legal issues and whatnot but there's been film but there's been uh, uh, fan projects that's been keeping the idea of Jason alive. There's been a video game, stuff like that, too. When it comes to doing fan projects or fan sequels to Manos, yeah. do you go, do you go as like like a lot of it, like a lot has been taken care of? Not only do they recognize the, the type of uh lore or history that the film has but also making a new movie that goes, oh, it still carries on the, the humor and, yeah, the, the humor of the, of the movie.
1: Well, um, let's see, like the, the stage production, I, I've just been really fortunate, like one of the stage productions was in Portland mm-hmm. and I live just 70 miles from Portland and I found out about it and that one was very funny. I mean, it was set up to be a comedy. They had the little Debbie character played by a a doll that they made and the Doberman (laughs) was made of uh, cardboard and felt and rolled across the stage on little tiny wheels and he fell over occasionally. It was freaking hilarious and uh, total parody and they found out, I contacted them and wanted to come to the play and they got excited and invited me to be part of it. So I got to actually play my own voice (laughs) from the the light and sound booth, it was great. So I got to be the voice of the, the doll on stage, which was, poetic justice since my voice in the original was dubbed by a middle-aged woman. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now the middle-aged woman gets to actually be Debbie. It was it's very cool. ironic and cool. And then the the puppet theater, um, Manos Hansa Felt is in Seattle and I found out about that and I got to go up and see the show and Rachel Jackson, who created that, actually is one of the producers, writers, and people uh, in *Monos Returns*. So, and she's very, very talented. Um, but other projects, you know, things that people do, I um, I totally support it. You know, I've been parts part of uh, a few projects that. I'm a little embarrassed about, you know, because of the quality of the project. But, um, you know, I just, I I love it. People send me their pictures of their cosplay when they're Torgo or the master (laughs) at different events. And um, yeah, it's just become such a big and broad world. It's... Uh, Yeah. but as far as mono like mono's returns and the Debbie Chronicles, the things that I've been involved in that are uh, that I that I feel are very professional, um, I'm finding it interesting that that they're coming out right now when we're in this world of uh, science. We're looking at simulation uh theory and uh you know the matrix the glitch in the matrix i don't know yeah, if you've yeah. seen that documentary and things like that it's like that stuff makes sense to me but that seems to be that's that's where we're going with monos because in monos returns I'm uh my character has um grown up with this cult the master's cult and now she's she becomes the master she takes over you know she's raised to become the leader of this cult but she's not necessarily uh she's not a pleasant person because of where she was raised but but all these wives are like what does she need these wives for so she's kind of annoyed with them and then uh in the, the Monos Chronicles, it's a whole different character. It's where Debbie escapes the Valley Lodge at a young age and she's been in hiding all these years and now she's coming wow. out to, to, to work to do good in the world. Hmm. So It's a whole different character. And like different universes, so I'm totally open to people's ideas. I love to see people take th- this core idea and go, well, what if this happened? Yeah, yeah it's that's the, the
0: joy of filmmaking too, is that you can always take this core idea and just have your own take on it because it's like like there's literally hundreds of takes on Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, uh, The Mummy, stuff yeah. like that. And you know these are also public domain characters, so it's like it's easy to say that. But when you're when you aren't the creator of something, and you see your film being sequel, you know, sequelized to say, you know, uh, like uh, another example of this was like I was just watching the Terminator later Terminator films that was just like made a couple of years ago, Terminator Genesis. And I was like, I can of remember watching it when it came out, like not really being uh, kind of like it's an okay movie but i was re-watching yesterday and i was like you know what this is something special here that kind of like especially now now it's like you know made a few now it's like a few years later where it's just like i understand where the filmmakers were trying to go with it especially now where it's like we're kind of like in a world of apps and stuff like that too whereas it's just like you know if, if this was like 2015 there's like they were apps, but they weren't, you know, like, apps that were, you know, taking the world by storm. Now there are apps that are taking the world by storm now. Yeah. And then again, with the Matrix uh, um, revolutions, uh, resurrections coming out, uh, it also adds to the fact that, you know, people are coming more along the lines of uh, playing with a deer. So, yeah, it's like, but back to my original point, where it's just, like, the... Idea of taking a core character or a core uh, plot point for this movie, and then making it like like uh I love the fact that they made a prequel movie about Torgo and explaining more about the character and and they you know as I mentioned before a video game seri- uh, video game series a video game where he has his revenge um,
1: yeah <laughs> it, it's.
0: It, and and of course you know it, it is kind of like and it ends with a very odd note where it's just like yeah the father shoots the master and then suddenly it like you don't know if he has either killed him or something like that and then it just you know transfer you know transitions into an, the next day and then we find out that something weird that's going on it's like people could easily figure out I was like okay how did this happen you know and then play off to that where it's just like again it's like as a filmmaker you always have a fun idea of taking an idea that you saw and go okay what if this happened and then, yeah and then, and then essentially creating a whole little diversion excuse me creating a whole uh diversion timeline where it's just like this is my interpretation of what happens after this movie so right. yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. And so it's really fun to be part of that culture.
0: Now, uh, right before I forget, now I know uh, this episode is coming out on Friday and then on the weekend, Tuesday. on Tuesday, yeah, on Tuesday, you have the meds doing the rendition of the resurrect, resurrection. Hey, here we go. Yeah, so,
1: restoration, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, what happens when I'm talking about a word that's similar before uh the restoration of manos as a live review so how did that come about especially uh yeah how did that idea come about where is it it's just like yeah how did that idea, idea come about
1: uh well uh chris uh Kersbeck, who is the producer of uh, The Mads Are Back, and he does the Mary Jo Peel show as well online. Uh, he contacted me and said that the Mads were interested in that they wanted to do or that they were planning to do monos for their end of year show. Um, and I listened to a podcast that they did re- just last couple days ago where Frank was saying they chose monos because all the christmas movies had been done and they did <laughs> santa one of the santa movies last year and that for some reason they decided that monos would just be a a great way to end the year yeah and um and by chance i had just seen Ben Solive and had dinner with him uh, a few days after Chris contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in being the q&a guest because they have a um, they have a guest after each show for q&a and I've met Frank and Trace a couple of times I Introduced them on stage in chicago about five years ago i mean we just literally happened to be in the same place at the same time yeah. so i met them in person and i've met joel and they're just all such and i met Ray, and they're just all such really great people so so chris contacted me and asked me if i'd like to be the guest and of course they said yes And um, through this process, as we've been talking, they've agreed to, uh, oh, so I had dinner with Ben Solovey and I asked him if they could use the restoration. And he said, yes. So I contact, we just kind of went back and forth and they decided that they wanted to show the restoration. So it's going to be a, it's like, it's just evolved. It started off as something really cool, but it just keeps evolving. And so now they're doing the restoration and they're showing, uh, the trailer to my, you know, my projects and, um, wow, they're doing a raffle. I think Trace is raffling off his Torgo Costumers, <laughs> there's just like it's they're packing a lot into the evening and i'm just extremely honored to be part of this show
0: uh, yeah honestly after uh the past year and a half with uh, a lot of things just being shuffled around because of uh, you know covid and stuff like that too and theater is not really doing much you know, I, I I'd be just gracious enough to be uh you know artist member and then watching something in the in the crowd, just like having fun for like two and a half hours or three hours or what have you, and then having to go or raffle too, and then stuff like that too. And So it, it does feel like uh a lot of not only it's also the end of the year too, where it's just like It's the end of the year. We might as well do a good little blowout, too, where it's just like, we haven't done that, like... Yeah, it's the end of the year. We haven't done a good blowout, so, yeah. Might as well have fun with it and stuff like that, too. And Manos, and especially since Manos seems like a fun film to do, not only from a a riff-view, a riff-view, where it's like, you know, a riff-view perspective, but also... A uh, nice and, and also the the new restoration looks amazing and stuff like that too. Where
1: yeah. you can actually see everything. Oh, so by the way, when you when you're watching it, there's there's some times there towards the end of the filming of the original Monos when the crew, um, the two guys that were the crew, were getting pretty frustrated with Hal, and so they would plant things to see if he was paying attention so there's um, inside the house at one point when my dad is holding up the master's robe you'll see right below him there uh, a beer bottle so that was that was planted by the crew and then when he lights Torgo's hand on fire, and this was more of a mistake than, an in, it wasn't an intentional plant, but the little can of lighter fluid is uh, sitting there at the base of one of the columns as, as he's holding up the burning hand. So, you know, if you look closely, you can find some pretty cool stuff, <laughs> and it's a lot easier to see on the restoration.
0: Yeah, it was like, I, I, again, I was just watching the, the Mystery Science Theater uh, 3000 episode last night, and I was like, how, did they able to see, how were they able to r- riff a movie like this when I could barely see with my own eyes, and I have glasses too, it whereas it's like, Ooh. it was like, it, it's... It, it, like again, it's, I know it's the '60s, and I know it was the, the the type of technology you had too, where it's just like, but still, it's, being able to restore movie from like 40... 50, well, not forty years ago, fifty, well, close to sixty years ago. Is this yeah, close to sixty years ago now. But, yeah,
1: it's about fifty-five years now.
0: Yeah, fifty-five. But,
1: years, yeah,
0: and, and restoring the negatives to a, a, like a HD crisp thing. That's like. That is like an amazing undertasking, especially since nowadays you know people be able to restore, you know, 1930s movies and make it look more cleaner, more like 4K. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I, like, I kind of doubt that maybe in like ten years from now, this movie, you know, like there'll be like the Manos 4K edition, where it's just like, oh, we now have it it's like an actual where you can actually see everything in the
1: <laughs> on screen. Yeah, yeah, Ben actually. By accident, he bought he's a film enthusiast and uh, he's going to film school and he bought a box of old uh, films. uh, From San Diego on eBay, I believe, and as he was going through it, he found the original work print that went through the camera in 1966. With, uh, with the cellophane tape for the editing, you know, it's cotton and taped together, all yellowed. And he did a Kickstarter and I believe he raised $46,000 wow. to restore that. And he did it frame by frame, cleaned it up and restored it frame by frame as you would any cherished Hollywood film. Hmm. and it and it shows it's yeah. really amazing
0: like the, like like literally i i was just seeing one of the, the the frames i think because uh the, the it was uh promoting the uh the thing on tuesday and i saw yeah
1: it goes side by side
0: yeah i saw how crisp it looked compared to uh how it looks for, you know previously i'm
1: like Isn't that amazing like
0: like i was legitimately going how is this the same movie <laughs>
1: I know because of the time and money that went into doing that I mean it's it's really it's it was meant to be back in the world I suppose it was yeah I mean uh when Ben restored that uh Hal Warren's son Joe decided he should have he should be part of this or something and uh he started threatening and he came after me and he came after Ben. And anyway, there's a seven page article in uh, Playboy magazine called (laughs) The Battle Over the Worst Movie Ever Made. And it was uh, written in 2015. And uh, that's pretty cool. My name is the first words in the article and it's a seven page article so i can honestly say i've been in playboy magazine
0: for <laughs> well, the article actually
1: yes yeah because you know everybody reads it for the article so anyway. yes.
0: uh but i do imagine like uh, you probably had those articles actually framed somewhere I goes yes i actually am in playboy magazine <laughs> for the article whereas it's just, like it's actually in the article so i
1: haven't thought to frame them but i do have copies yeah. And, and entertainment weekly, Upworthy, Cracked. I've been interviewed in a lot of pretty cool places.
0: Well, again, thank you for being taking your time out of your busy schedule to be interviewed by me or at least con- <laughs> had a nice little conversation with me about this thing. Because, again, yeah. it's like it's like I like when again growing up, I really didn't understand what Manos was, I only heard it as like. When I'd be in like IMDb, like, oh, it's be like number one on like that, the worst movies, of, like the bottom 100, number one, Mouse. And I never know anything else aside. And else aside from that and the MST3K episode. And then over the years, I kind of like grew up like understanding, like, oh, it's definitely worse movies over here, but I don't think it probably belongs. Like, I don't oh, think yeah. it belongs on like the worst movies list. Like, you could tell, like, and again, like what you said before. Everything was like a community project, and when you're working with actors who you know and people who you know, especially on a film set, you know you're obviously doing it with you know with love and care. It's not Mm -hmm. like it's not like oh we're just gonna make a movie for the hell of it and just not know. No,
1: and and that's one of the things I think that make people love it so much is you can watch it and you can see the earnestness. Everybody was really trying. They were doing the best they could with what they had yeah and i think with so many independent films being made a lot of people can relate to that
0: now i do have three questions that's fairly easy uh one you okay. already mentioned uh your uh, future projects that are coming out especially the one on tuesday so i won't ask that but any advice is do you have any advice to any like butter, uh like any independent filmmakers or script writers or what have you who are going into the entertainment uh, industry wanting to make their own uh movie and sort of like not really like not really set on the type of story they're making or they have a crew or what have you It's like do you have any advice to any inspiring filmmakers
1: Gosh. Well, I mean, learn all you can. If, if uh, you can connect with people making films that know more than you do, uh, volunteer your services to be on the crew because the you know the independent filmmakers don't have budgets to pay yeah. crews and stuff, and and inexperienced people can be very helpful on a set. And um, I'll tell you, you know, in in making the Debbie Chronicles especially, like I was gone from Thursday through Monday of this weekend. Uh, We were filming like 12 hour days. Uh, Two days were about 12 hours. The third day was probably eight or nine hours. It was exhausting. And uh I was really glad to be on the talent side of it cuz I could when I wasn't on camera on set I could relax but uh it's grueling. Yeah. I mean, I'm watching film now with I'm watching like a scene where somebody's walking to a bus and like I started watching American Gods. And I'm looking at this like a four second shot and i count 10 different times they had to reset up and move the camera and do something different in just a few seconds that's a that's a lot of lot of work so that's one thing people have to understand to do it right you really have to have a lot of patience yeah so I would suggest that people, if they can get on another film set, either as an extra or uh, part of the crew, volunteer some services. That's a hell of a good way to learn.
0: And my last uh, question is fairly, fairly easy. Do you have any social media that you do want to plug?
1: Yeah, uh, my Etsy store, uh, and that's Etsy, and it's. Um, jackie's monos so j-a-c-k-e-y-s and then monos m-a-n-o-s and um let's see yeah you know if you just hashtag my name jackie name and jones i've been learning about hashtags and i'm like well, there's some pretty cool stuff there. So uh, you can see a lot about what I'm doing, but Jackie name and Jones. So uh, if you look me up, I'm, I'm coming up in a lot of different places. Yeah, it's, I'm, uh, I'm working on a website, but it, and it'll be Jackie's monos, but uh, it's, it's not up and running quite yet.
0: Yeah. I, we have a website for my, uh, uh, <laughs> we have a website for the, the show too, and I just made it back in like say early April or something like that. I have yet to really uh, touch up uh, on it because it's like it's still in the early stages. I mean, it it's it's far in the early stages, but I need to get like someone, you know, uh, I might need to get someone to help me on the, building a, a website. So, you
1: know. Yeah, anyway. that's what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> but Miss Neiman Jones, thank you for being a great guest today. Uh, it, again, you can catch her this Tuesday on the Mads are back with uh, their rendition of the Restoration of Mano of Santa's fate. As always, take care, everyone. Please be safe, be well, and have a happy new year.